Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Today's class in our jhana structured study um, is on the Sakavabhanga Sutta, an analysis of Four Noble Truths. And so you'll notice in the progression of our study, um, we're establishing jhana as it's intended, as, as the concentration factor that now supports the refined mindfulness that can hold in mind the rest of the Dhamma. So you remember we went through, I think it was eight or nine classes on the Satipatthana Sutta, the, the uh, primary sutta on the four foundations of mindfulness, where that sutta first teaches, the Buddha teaches us to establish jhana meditation to then support the other themes of the Dhamma, such as the seven factors of awakening, etc., uh, the, the five clinging aggregates. And that sutta, like the Anapanasati Sutta, concludes with Finally, we can remain mindful, hold in mind the Four Noble Truths. And so this sutta, uh, and, just, and in the last couple of weeks, we looked at the importance of, uh, as Dhamma practitioners, to actually be focused on what the, what the Buddha actually taught and recognize and abandon any of the uh, adaptations, accommodations, and embellishments that have been attached to it. That was the Buddha's warning uh, 2,600 years ago, that is just as valid, if not even more valid today. It, was, it wasn't given frivolously. The, he noticed that the, uh, the, the, the disciples in the original Sangha were just as prone to grasping after other dharmas as we are today. Um, and so this is an analysis of the Four, analysis of the four Noble Truths uh, by Sariputta and Moggallana. Sariputta and Moggallana uh, were both known as the Buddha's chief disciples, along with Ananda. Uh, they came to the Buddha very early in his dispensation, and both of them very quickly realized the Dhamma, awakened, became arahants, and were very important to the Sangha throughout the Buddha's teachings career. They all died uh, around the same time, within a few years of each other, 45 years later now. Uh, Sariputta was much more... Um, of a, of a teacher throughout that time, uh, but Moggallana was as well. But it, it's interesting, Moggallana preferred the life more of a hermit uh, than Sariputta did, and, and that fit in the original Dhamma. In other words, the Buddha would call on Sariputta often to come and teach a, uh, an aspect of the Dhamma, but he would also call on Moggallana, but very, very rarely when he felt that Moggallana was the right fit for that teaching. So he was honoring both of their practices. Even though they were awakened, the Buddha didn't insist that they teach. They were allowed to practice their practice as they wanted to. And both of their um, personalities or proclivities came out in how they, even how they taught. So you can hear different suttas where uh, Sariputta taught, they're much easier to find. And a few by Moggallana um, that are... Um, just as well focused and just as deeply insightful, but with a, a, a even a different tone. And, you, and they, even that comes through 2,600 years later. But let me read this sutta. The analysis of the Four Noble Truths, the Sakavabhanga Sutta from the uh, Majjhima Nikaya. 
On one occasion, the Buddha was staying at the deer park in Isipatana. He addressed those gathered. Friends, it was here that I set in motion the unexcelled wheel of Dhamma. That was quite a thing to say, even though it was a common thing for so-called spiritual religious teachers of, of the time to say that. They all said that their Dhamma, their Dharma was the best. The Buddha also said that. But he also backed it up. My Dhamma cannot be corrupted by any Brahman, Mara, Brahma, or anyone in the entire world. No one can corrupt the revelation, the declaration, the description, the structure, the explanation, and the clear and direct teaching of Four Noble Truths. So again, he, he took all that um, broad grasping after spiritual matters and said it all comes down to Four Noble Truths, the clear and direct teaching of Four Noble Truths. And then he tells us clearly what it is. Number one, the noble truth of stress and suffering, the noble truth of dukkha. The noble truth of the origination of dukkha or stress. The noble truth of the cessation of stress that, that relates directly to impermanence. And the noble truth of the Eightfold Path of Practice leading to the cessation of dukkha. Friends, associate with wise disciples such as Sariputta and Moggallana. Again, he's getting right to the point. If you want to learn the Dhamma, associate with those that can actually teach the Dhamma. Associate with wise disciples. That's a common theme through many, many suttas where the Buddha comes back to the idea of wise associations. And he's not just talking about teachers. He is in this sense. Associate with teachers that can actually teach the Dhamma. They have to practice it. But also, ultimately, what do I associate myself with? Especially what thoughts do I associate myself with? Where am I eye-making? And this is getting to very subtle levels of the Dhamma. Friends associate with wise disciples such as Sariputta and Moggallana. Sariputta and Moggallana are well-trained, focused, wise, and sympathetic to those developing a life integrated with the Eightfold Path. I love these, this line here. Sariputta is like a mother giving birth and Moggallana is like the nurse that attends to the baby. So, so Moggallana, excuse me. Sariputta could readily expound on every point of the Dhamma, but Moggallana was more inclined to the finer aspects of it. And it kind of relates to the way he lived his life, where Sariputta was much more a part of the uh, original Sangha community than Moggallana was. And so they, they taught that way. Um, Sariputta trains others on developing the Dhamma, Moggallana to the highest culmination. Sariputta is able to de declare, teach, describe, set forth, reveal, explain, and, and another important part of this, and make plain the Four Noble Truths. Nothing esoteric, nothing that human beings can't develop. Having said these words, the Buddha left for the days abiding. So he's exampling to them by just by leaving and leaving the, the rest of this dispensation to his other teachers, he's saying they are fully capable in teaching. Sariputta then addressed those gathered. Friends, it was here that the Tathagata, referring to the Buddha, set in motion the unexcelled wheel of Dhamma, the only time the wheel of Dhamma was set in motion, by the way. This Dhamma cannot be corrupted by any Brahman, Deva, Mara, Brahma, or anyone in the entire world. No one can corrupt the revelation, the declaration, the description, the structure, the explanation, and the clear and direct teaching of Four Noble Truths. Again, he describes what they are. Friends, what is the noble truth of stress and suffering?
And notice where the Buddha, where now Sariputta, but the Four Noble Truths are bringing us directly back to a human life. The initial teaching on understanding Four Noble Truths is take your head out of the clouds and out of speculation and out of where we might go in a future life, right here and right now. Having a human life is stressful. Birth is stressful. That's, that's saying that as a consequence of having a human life, there is going to be stress. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be discontent. Basically, the Buddha is saying, get over it. It's an aspect of having a human life. Birth is stressful. Sickness is stressful. Aging is stressful. Death is stressful. All aspects of human life. Sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair are all stressful. Again, the Buddha is saying, these are going to occur. If you're having a human life, you will experience this. Not getting what is desired is stressful and receiving what is undesired is stressful. Those two relate to greed and aversion, two of the three defilements. And then the Buddha would always finish, in this case Sariputta, the description of stress and suffering in this way. In short, the five clinging aggregates are stressful. The five clinging, clinging aggregates are form, feelings, uh, Oh, I forgot them. Form, feelings, perceptions, mental fabrications, and ongoing consciousness. That just describes the ongoing personal experience of stress and suffering. This is our identification with stress that manifests as five clinging aggregates. And then Sariputta teaches us. This is the an important teaching on birth and rebirth, where the the Dhamma is very clearly showing us that the, that we are not concerned about physical birth. We are concerned about what we are giving birth to in this moment. And if what we're giving birth to in this moment is rooted in ignorance, we will simply give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. If what we give birth to is rooted in the wisdom of the Dhamma, then we are giving birth to a moment that inclines our mind towards awakening. And that's why you hear me say often that we practice the Dhamma at the point of contact with life as life occurs. There's no Dhamma practice that we can apply to the past or hope to apply to the future. We do not live in the past or the future. The Dhamma can only be integrated and applied in life as life occurs, hence the need for jhana meditation. And Sariputta then says, and what is birth? Whatever takes birth, which means whatever is taking hold in our mind, and that whatever takes hold in our mind, the essence of mindfulness, can be rooted in ignorance or rooted in wisdom. The descent, the coming to be, the coming forth, the arising of the five clinging aggregates. There's a causative agent to the arising of the five clinging aggregates. The fabrications of the, of the sensuous realms of diverse beings, meaning the, the fabrication that leads people to speculate about where they might be as opposed to where they are right now. Let me read it again. The fabrication, the corruption of the sensuous realms of diverse beings all the things that, that spiritual, so-called spiritual teachers grasped after as a distraction during the Buddhist time, and obviously as that, that distraction has been incorporated into most all of modern Buddhism to this day. All of that is called giving birth to ignorance. And what is aging? Aging is increasing decrepitude, brokenness, graying, wrinkling, the decline of the life force, the diminishing of the mental faculties of diverse beings. This is called aging. Why is the Buddha saying something? Because he wants to make the point. If you're having a human life, this is part of that human life. Don't fight it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't hope it won't happen. And don't create a distraction over avoiding it. 
And what is death? Death is the passing away, the breaking up, the disappearance, the completion of time. The completion of time. In other words, the Buddha is saying in Saraputta here that time does not go on for us beyond this physical life. We complete time in this lifetime, meaning if you're going to awaken, you better take to it. The, the casting off of the body, the interruption of the life faculty, and the dissolution of the five clinging aggregates of, the, of diverse beings. This is called death. And what is sorrow? Sorrow is sadness. The suffering of, the misfort of misfortune being touched by pain. This is called sorrow. And what is regret or lamentation? Regret is the grieving, the crying, the weeping, the wailing. The regret of suffering from misfortune, of being touched by pain. This is called regret. Just as the Buddha taught in the, in the uh, Loka Sutta upon his awakening, he looked out on the world and he declared, the world is a flame. A flame with what? A flame with the fires of passion. You could, have, you could just say that about right now in our world. We look out in the world and we're afflicted with the pains of regret. Almost everyone in the world is regretful today. We're lamenting our place in the world. Again, we can, we can blame this, this awful virus, but that is an aspect of, of birth, sickness, aging, and death. And I'm not saying that we should disregard the COVID-19. We should understand it in the context of what it means to be a human being. It's an occurrence. And what is pain? Pain is bodily pain, bodily discomfort. discomfort. Pain or discomfort from bodily contact is called pain. And what is distress? Distress is mental pain and mental discomfort. Pain or discomfort from mental contact. This is called distress. And what is despair? Despair is despondency and desperation of anyone suffering from misfortune or touched by a painful thing. This is called despair. The Buddha is taking us through the whole gamut of human emotions, or you could say negative human emotions, and then giving us a way out of this. He's not just saying that uh, that we can imagine ourselves or hope that, that some kind of grace is bestowed on us or that we can pray long enough or, or engage in enough rituals or again fall back in our imagination. It teaches us first where we get this, where we acquire this stress. And what is the stress of not getting what is desired? And those being subject to birth, meaning subject to giving subject to having a human life, nothing extraordinary. And those being subject to birth, the wish arises, may I not be subject to birth. May I not be having this human experience. Let me find a substitute for this. And from that fabricated view follows every other corruption. May I not be subject to this human life. May I not be subject to birth. May birth not come to me. So you've heard me say often that the, the common human disease is self-loathing. We think that there's something broken or something missing from us. And that sets in motion this whole idea of grasping after something more than me or something that will resolve me rather than understanding what I am. And when I'm grasping after something to fix or resolve me, I'm rooted in self-loathing. I'm, I'm in, insisting to myself that I'm not good enough as I am. I'm not complete. I'm not whole. I'm not ready for this human life. 
May I not be subject to birth. May birth not come to me. Wishing does not bring cessation. And in that wishing is all the speculative practices that we fall into. I wish something would not happen. I wish I wasn't having this difficulty in my life. When the Buddha already taught us that having difficulty is part of having a human life. Do not take it personal. Do not engage in eye-making by wishing that things don't come to you or wishing that you get something. This is the stress of not getting what is desired. Furthermore, in uninformed human beings, subject to birth, sickness, aging, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair, the wish, the wish arises, oh, may I not be subject to birth, sickness, aging, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair. May these not befall me. I think you all see how incredibly self-centered that is, self-referential, how I'm making. Essentially what you're saying is, okay, I understand that people are prone to stress and suffering in the world, just don't let it happen to me. I don't want to have the human experience. And when we deny the effects of our own greed, aversion, rooted in deluded thinking, we are denying our own humanity. That's why it's so important. That's why I said to Louise earlier before class started that recognizing where we're um, out of right view, not that where the Dhamma isn't, isn't quite integrated in this moment, is recognizing this point right here. It's recognizing the eye-making in this moment. And as Louise described, that now she's bringing her mind back in her body. She's uniting her mind and her body. And now you can practice the Dhamma. As the Buddha taught Bahia, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what is occurring. When I find myself identifying with stress, through the need, through the wish that I be something different or that what is occurring be something different, I recognize that is taking life personally. That's I-making. That's rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. This is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. And we move into the next moment of our human life. Saraputta continues. Another important, very important point, and it's what leads to all the speculation that, that human beings have been engaged with since we first looked up at the stars. These things are not avoided by wishing. And again, another aspect of wishing would be creating speculative dharmas over these things. This is not avoided by wishing. This is the stress of not getting what is desired. The result of continued grasping after... These are my words. The result of continued grasping after continued establishment of a fabricated view of self, clinging to any impermanent phenomena, including the fabricated phenomena of external realms and the fabricated belief of salvation, the, the salvific intervention of beings from external imaginary realms, it is, is what is referred to here. I know that's a lot of words, but it again just gets into the idea that something outside of myself or beyond myself will fix this broken self. That is wishing that I be different than I am. That's the ultimate in eye-making. And it's important to apply this to the grand ideas that we come up with, such as where did I come from and where am I going? But it resolves itself in this moment and, and in being entirely pure about who and what I am in this moment. And so that means in this moment, if I find myself as a meditation teacher, that's what I am. 
but in my mind, I don't have to prove that I am the world's greatest meditation teacher by expounding on all the things that are irrelevant to the Dhamma. Remember the sutta on a handful of leaves where the Buddha teaches that the things that I teach are like the leaves I hold in my hand, not like the leaves that are on the trees of the forest. It's very well focused for noble truths. Wishing to avoid any experience that is determined by simply having a human life is rooted in self-referential wrong views and always results in continued distraction and continued stress and suffering. That's the common problem of dis-ease, discontent in, the, in, in humanity. This is why we do all the things that we do that are rooted in ignorance, from minor arguments to the, to the most elaborate wars and schemes that we have for taking over other people. And what are the five clinging aggregates that continue stress? The clinging to form aggregate, clinging to this, nama rupa, this is me, this is what I am. The clinging to the feeling aggregate, we use the, what we're feeling in this moment to describe the quality of our life, even though as wise Dhamma practitioners, we understand the impermanence of feelings and we let that determination go. The clinging to the perception aggregate, clinging to the fabrication aggregate, and clinging to the consciousness aggregate. Clinging to the idea that just because I'm having a thought, that gives relevance to my experience. That, that great saying, I think, therefore I am, which is one of the most corrupted sayings of all time. And we've built a humanity on that saying. These are the five clinging aggregates that continue stress. This, friends, is a noble truth of stress. So there's, there's no, and I would, the way that I read this and giving a lot of explanation may seem to have complicated it, but when we want to understand what is the Buddha talking about, all that we have to refer back to is the common disease that we have in our life. And that's where we know we're eye-making. Shreyas, please. Sorry. Could you just explain in more detail what you make of the um, consciousness fabrication aggregate? What, what is the composite of that? Wait a minute, what, what, how does it manifest? Not as how it manifests, but um, what forms as an aggregate is a heap or a, a pile yep. made up of different things. So what is it when you say consciousness aggregate? Oh, con- consciousness in re- relation to the Dhamma is simply ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. And again, I... I, I, I refer to this often. Uh, we, we're, we're conditioned to think, new agey thought, religious thought, philosophical thought, that there's, there's some type of one mind or cosmic consciousness that we're all becoming a part of or all are a part of. The Buddha never taught that. He taught that human beings are discrete in their thinking and discrete in their beings. And that is the aspect of being a human being. So consciousness is one aspect of these five aggregates. It's not something, it's not a composite of something else. It's part of the, the composition. So you, do, of, you do not think of consciousness as being formed as we have eye consciousness, ear consciousness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, uh, nose yeah. consciousness, uh, taste consciousness. Yes, that's related. To, that's the, that's the, con- of those, that's the sixth each sense of base. Has their own Yes, that's the sixth sense base that is informed finally by that consciousness. But in the description of, in the description of the sixth sense base, 
is the resolution of that is in consciousness. But yeah, and, and the only reason it's not mentioned here, Shreyas, is it's not it's not relevant to this particular sutta. You know, the not every teaching is given in every in every sutta. There's there's many other suttas where the Buddha is referring, and I refer to the sixth sense base, and so that's what that's what we're referring to here. So I hope that does that answer your question. Not really, because um, it, it sort of sidelines it in a, in a way, which is, um, you know, the point being that if we look at these aggregates and we realize that, you know, these are the formulations of these different consciousnesses that then, you know, uh, uh, create a sense of like, you know, that's interpreted um, to yes. formulate. Yeah, again, um, sir, I don't mean to cut, cut you off. The only reason I'm not talking about it here is because it's not in the sutta, but it is in many other suttas. Uh, so again, it, it, there the the sixth sense base is addressed in many many suttas. It's just not it's just not taught in this sutta. So again, I I can't and no nobody could teach nobody could no nobody each each class is taught in the context of dependent origination and four noble truths. But I couldn't teach other suttas if I taught only those suttas, or if I only taught if I if I started combining suttas. Just because they might have some relevance to this sutta, the sixth sense base is relevant to this sutta, and it's taught and expounded on in many other suttas. It's just not a part of this sutta. So, again, it, it, the understanding of that is important, but that's related to, in, in, in again, as I said, in many other suttas. So, I hope that helps. Again, the explanation, the quick explanation. I'm not talking about it here because it's just not included in the sutta, but it's it's taught and explained in many others. And the Sariputta continues. And what is the noble truth of the origination of stress? The very craving that makes for becoming further ignorant. <clears throat> craving and clinging to passion and delight after what is craved for, including adapted, accommodated, or embellished modern dharmas. That's my commentation, comment. And trance, <clears throat> and trance here and there with craving for sensuality, Craving for continued becoming, and that, that relates to what Shreyas was saying. We crave, the, the craving for, for sensuality is by coming in contact with our sixth sense base, the five physical aspects and the sixth aspect of consciousness. Craving for becoming further ignorant. That's that wishing aspect of this. Craving for non-becoming. What is craving for non-becoming? It's craving for establishment in non-physical realms. Again, something that is recurrent in many, many suttas, where the Buddha said that's pure fabrication. It's rooted in stress and suffering. Craving for non-becoming. This is called the noble truth of the origination of stress. And what, friends, is the noble truth of the cessation of stress? Excuse me. Let me read that again. And what, friends, is a noble truth of the cessation of stress? So the Buddha is taking, or Sariputta is taking us through the the um, the establishment of stress. But again, he doesn't lead us here. It doesn't just say, "Your stressful beings, get over it," or "Your stressful beings, imagine yourself," or "You can meditate yourself out of it." He tells us how to do it: the renunciation, the relinquishment, the release, the letting go, the remainderless fading away, and complete cessation of craving. This is called the noble truth of the cessation of stress. 
craving, wishing, I'm making, wanting myself to be different than I am in this moment or wanting this moment or you, another person, to be different than they are in this moment. That's craving. And as we just learned, that craving is rooted in ignorance. And what is the noble truth of the path of Dharma practice that leads directly to the cessation of stress? Again, Saraputta took us through the whole exposition of the problem and then he's saying, yes, this is the way out. This path is a noble eightfold path. Right view? Right view is knowledge with regards to stress, knowledge with regard to the origination of stress, knowledge with regard to the cessation of stress, and knowledge with regard to the eightfold path of practice leading to the cessation of stress. This is right view. No ambiguity there. There's no reason to, to speculate on what right view is. And everybody knows, we all know, that that is what we're hoping to develop and that we can develop that. Right intention. Right intention is maintaining mindfulness of the intention, intention for the renunciation, for freedom from ill will, for harmlessness, for cessation, for cessation from views rooted in ignorance. This is right intention. Right speech. Right speech is abstaining from lying, abstaining from divisive speech, abstaining from abusive speech, and abstaining from gossip and idle chatter. This is right speech. Right action. Right action is abstaining from taking life, abstaining from stealing, abstaining from sexual misconduct. This is right action. Right livelihood. Right livelihood is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones has abandoned dishonest livelihood and provides for themselves with honesty. This is right livelihood. That was a curious one for me when I first came across the Eightfold Path in a way that I could understand it. And I, and I came across right livelihood, and I isn't this covered by right speech and right action? Until I understood that even during the Buddhist time like today, otherwise good and honest men and women when it was time to put food on the table for, the, for, for mother and family or spouse and family, would engage in wrong speech or wrong action. And so the Buddha's using whatever we're doing to help fine-tune our right speech and our right action. And again, I've noticed that in, you know, when I was deeply in business, I was involved in a few business um, groups, which were mostly excuses to get together and have breakfast or breakfast in the morning or cocktails at night and uh, a lot of it was about scheming rather than providing the best product and serving who were who were there I won't get too deep into that when a skillful disciple has abandoned dishonest livelihood and provides for themselves with honesty this is right livelihood right effort this points to how we practice the Dhamma right effort is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones in parentheses, internally generates the skillful desire, desire, who is persistent, who remains mindful of their intent for the non-arising of unskillful qualities, unskillful qualities that have, have yet arisen. Again, it's kind of a wordy way of saying we are now using our concentration to be mindful of wishing and grasping after more things, after an, a, a deeper embellishment of the Dhamma. A rising of unskillful qualities that have yet arisen, who remains mindful of their intent for the abandoning of unskillful qualities that have arisen, who remains mindful for maintaining non-confusion and for increasing, developing, and the culmination of skillful qualities that have yet arisen. What are those skillful qualities? The Buddha just taught us the Eightfold Path. 
This is right effort. Right mindfulness. Right mindfulness is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones remains mindful of the body. Remember now the, the, when we went through that eight classes on the Satipatthana Sutta. We start again. Right mindfulness is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones, meaning a follower, someone who's actually engaging in the Eightfold Path as presented, a skillful disciple of the noble ones remains mindful of the body in and of itself while remaining ardent, alert, and mindful of putting aside greed and distress with reference to the world. Coming right back using jhana meditation to recognize distraction and applying that concentration. When we recognize that we are distracted, we remain more ardent, alert, and mindful of putting aside greed and distress in reference to the world. That's practicing the Dhamma at the point of contact. That's right mindfulness. And it can only be incorporated by the next factor of this. Right mindfulness is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones remains mindful of feelings in and of themselves while remaining ardent, alert, and mindful of putting aside greed and distress with reference to the world. Remember how we went through the first found, the four foundations of mindfulness. The breath in the body. Feelings. Being mindful of feelings arising and passing away. Being mindful of thoughts arising and passing away. Being mindful of the present quality of mind and how that present quality of mind is always changing. Right mindfulness is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones remains mindful of thoughts in and of themselves. Feelings and thoughts in and of themselves. And I'm sitting in jhana meditation a feeling arises. I don't attach myself to it or interpret it or analyze it in any way. It's a feeling that arose in and of itself. And a thought that arose in and of itself. I don't have to analyze it. I don't, I don't engage in eye-making about the thought. I don't make that thought me or the feeling me or attach the thought to a feeling which creates an emotion. Continued eye-making. While remaining ardent and alert and mindful of putting aside greed and distress with reference to the world. So Saraputta is teaching us that greed and distress arise in the world by giving in to sensual desire manifesting as feelings and thoughts and thoughts attached to our feelings. Right mindfulness is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones remains mindful of the present quality of mind this is the fourth foundation of mindfulness, something that people find so hard to grasp, and here it is. When a skillful disciple of the noble ones remains mindful of the present quality of mind in and of itself, while remaining ardent, alert, and mindful of putting aside greed and distress with reference to the world. This is right mindfulness. And that last foundation of mindfulness, the fourth foundation of mindfulness, is ongoing Dhamma practice. It's practicing the Dhamma at the moment of contact. Let me read it again. Being mindful of the present quality of mind in and of itself, right now, what's occurring, while remaining ardent, alert, and mindful of putting aside greed and distress, eye-making, with reference to the world. This is right mindfulness. So again, there's, and I would ask you, in fact, let's talk about this. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Does anybody here feel that you can't uh, develop that level of mindfulness to remain ardent and alert with reference to the world? Right meditation. And the, the importance of this too is the Buddha taught only one meditation method. He only taught jhana meditation. 
least as far as I can tell, despite what has developed and all the um, license taken with the word meditation, and he taught it for one reason. And he, again, he identified it. Now, the word right could also be uh, changed to skillful versus unskillful. But in, in the English language, right versus wrong is, is really significant here. There's a wrong way to meditate according to what the Buddha and Sariputta is teaching us. And there's a right way. Right meditation. Right meditation is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones has established seclusion from sensuality and unskillful mental qualities. How the Buddha always taught jhana meditation. Very few instruction, is there? But he would say, go find the root of a tree or an empty hut. Go establish seclusion. They enter, remain in the first jhana. This first jhana is experienced as rapture born of that very seclusion. So rapture is a rather archaic term that is often given... Uh, to the to the second coming, and the, the, again, this rapture in this sense just means joyful engagement with, and so we are the first jhana, the first establishment. We become mindful of our breath and our body, and so we are naturally joyfully engaged in this practice because we know what it's going to give us. We've taken true refuge in the dhamma. We know where we're headed by simply taking that breath and uniting our mind and my body. Joyful engagement with what is occurring. Joyful engagement with that seclusion that I've just established. And that is immediate when we take a breath. We might lose it in the next thought because we're distracted by a feeling or a thought. But again, the Buddha taught us in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, when we find that we do that, we simply take a breath and unite our mind and our body. That first jhana is accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. That's just what I, I described. We recognize that we're caught up in a feeling or a thought and we direct our thought, directed thought, back to the sensation of breathing. And in that first jhana, as most human beings, we're going to be evaluating that practice. Am I doing this right? Furthermore, the ending of the defilements, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, depends on the second jhana, meaning the ever-deepening concentration. And that second jhana is the stilling of directed thought and evaluation. So as and we've all experienced this, the only reason the Buddha taught these four levels of jhana uh, is so that we recognize it, not that we strive after that. So we recognize that these are occurring in our jhana practice. If they're not, it simply means that we're not practicing it correctly. We might be substituting or incorporating other meditation practice in our jhana practice or as opposed to jhana practice. This second jhana is experienced as rapture and pleasure now born of concentration. So that second jhana, we stop directing our thoughts and we're naturally being guided by our breath and we're no longer evaluating it. And again, that might just be for two or three breaths, but that's the second level of jhana. And we're now we're recognizing... Uh, the boat, my dog's going Bodie, come here. He's going to go crazy for a few minutes. Come here. Come here, Bodie. Come here. Come here. Stop barking. Stop. Sit, sit, sit down right there. Sit, 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 sit. It's okay. Sorry about that. I got a delivery coming. Sit. You got to... I got to hold him or he's going to go crazy, so... Um, let's take the, the time. Any questions about what I'm reading so far? Do, does everybody feel that the... Uh, Moving into this first and second jhana. Does everybody recognize it? Stay here. Sit. Uh, I'd, I'd like to say that um, 
Sometimes I find Shit. such a chunk of information and such a speed of information really overwhelming. Uh-huh. Like as if you're talking about taking breaths, but there's not enough time for us to just take a breath in the delivery of the information. And I find that like nearly an hour of it is just like I'm too much i kind of been feeling like i want to say it's too much stop <laughs> like it's too much stop and i haven't i'm sorry Louise. Just... <laughs> um it, it, it can seem overwhelming and it's one of the reasons why i break up some suit is like we went eight eight or nine classes on the saraputta suit on the, on the uh Satipatthana suit. I think I called the Saraputta suit earlier. Um, but the, one of the reasons why the Dhamma is repetitive is because we keep coming back to these similar themes in many other suttas. So initially we first need to hear the Dhamma, and that's what we're doing here. And over continued Dhamma practice, we start incorporating it. So, but I'm glad you brought that up because it can seem very overwhelming, especially when these, the verbiage is, is somewhat new. And it's it's, it's, it's um, not the repetition because I quite like the repetition. It's not that; it's the speed of the lesson and the amount of the information at the one time. There's not enough time for me to process, and it feels overwhelming and exhausting, and it's hard. And I keep I kind of my in my whole body wants to say, "Can we stop? Can we take a breath? Can we just land on that and then see what's the capacity for more?" Rather than, I, I just feel a bit stuffed. Well, I, I tell you, we, if you feel that way, we can, we'll, we'll, we can stop here. Well, actually, I want to finish this. No, 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 But let me, no, but let me no, explain my, something to you, my, Louise. The, no, the, the, the Dhamma I, I is, I, the Dhamma is I, such that we I hear felt, it, we hear it often. Well. It, well, hold on one second, Alex. One of the reasons why I send the email out early is so that we can all read the sutta before and become acquainted with it. And in that way, it may not seem so overwhelming. But I've been teaching about 10 years. And I'm not saying, like, I know how to do it, so you better listen to me. I'm just qualifying what I'm about to say. It's important to hear the Dhamma. Because once we start hearing it, we can start processing it, whether we think we're actually doing it or not. And so you're going to hear something in next week's class or next month class that relates directly to the foundation that's established here. Even this, the, the um, going over the, the different levels of jhana, I think this is the fourth time I've talked about them just in this structured, structured study because it's, it's, it's necessary to go over them again and again. But it's also important to present suttas as much as possible in their entire context. And this is one of them that's important to, to, um, to not break apart so, so much to really just present it as it is. And your ongoing practice is where you'll make sense of this. But, and again, I'm not saying this in, a, in, any, in any accusatory way. Did you, did you have the time to read this sutta before? Yeah, it's, it's not that. It's just like, look at the body language of everyone on screen. Like, people are like, you know, like agitated. They're not comfortable. Body isn't comfortable. I can see that in some of these. I can see it in myself when I'm looking at myself on screen. Like, it's just a little bit too much. Okay, Alex, were you going to say something? Uh, I, I was just going to say, I, the, I think these sitters are 
longer than usual than I'm used to. So I, I felt the same about halfway. I thought, oh, it would be nice to stop and reflect. But um, it does, yeah, it definitely helps to read. Again, I, I didn't read beforehand, and last week I did, and I did feel I could follow a lot better that way. So I just think it's about trying to make time to read beforehand. Um, I don't know. I, I'd be happy to break it up into two classes, this one. But, um, well, yeah, not, oh, not this one. Um it, it just doesn't lend itself. And again, yeah, it, it's important yeah. to understand that 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 the uh, I don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah, that no, the, that, you that you that yeah. you hear the Dhamma in its context and understand yeah, yeah. that this sutta or no other sutta is meant to give anybody instant awakening. And I understand that it's a lot of information, and it's easy to say don't grasp after it. Just yeah. relax. Take a breath and and just listen to it, uh, and just li- and know that you will incorporate the teachings as you continue with your dharma practice. And again, this happens to be a lot in this in this particular sutta, but you can also refer to it after class. I mean, the recording will be up in a day or two, and you can listen to it again and again. But again, just to say it, your ongoing dharma practice will make what you're hearing today much clearer. But it's important to lay that foundation just in, in, in saying the words and just laying it out there. Mateo, were you going to say something? No, no, no. I just feel like when she said body language, because I see Alex, it seems it's very cold tonight. It was like covered. So that's it. I am cold. I am cold. No, for, for me, I really don't mind. I mean, like, I don't know if we have to go with majority or no. I don't mind whatever you feel. Um, I don't want that people feel uncomfortable. So for me, it's whatever you decide is fine. But uh, of course, like I think John is the teacher, and he decides. Yeah. Tom, we might as well hear from you. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll, I'll second what um, my and Alex are saying. Um, it makes a huge difference when you. Um, when you read in advance, um, I, I find it does, or at least read along as John's speaking. I just find that, I, I don't know if that's just my form of, of learning, but reading as, as I'm listening does help. Um, that being said, um, I do find Vajana, these suttas, a lot longer than some of the other ones. Like comparing, for example, to the, um, the one that we were doing uh, in the Saturday and Tuesday classes until just recently, uh, the um, uh, momentarily forgotten in name. The um, Dana The one that you've got. The, the, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That that one. They're they're just shorter and they're a little bit. They're a bit. They fit more easily into one class. So I do think there's something to be said there for um, for um, taking it a little bit slower. Um, having said that, I mean, I, I certainly don't have. Body language, I don't think that suggests. I mean, I've I've been getting quite a lot out of this and and, and stuff like that. So I think it does depend on, uh, uh, you know, everyone, and it depends on their state of mind and and uh, and and you know where they are on that particular day. Because some days I will be more more focused and concentrated than others, and it's not necessarily um, the teachings. It might be my own reaction to them on a particular day. So I think there's a lot of factors involved. But yeah, I, I do think that, that potentially, um, I, I do find that shorter 
passages help um, just to better digest them a bit more. But anyway, that's, that's just my two cents. But I'm obviously, I, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't have had my um, life transformed for the better if it wasn't for discovering these teachings. And, and you're the person that's brought those teachings to me. So who am I to say what's the best way of doing it? Because what's done, happened so far has been so instrumental in, in, in helping me to live a calmer and more peaceful life. So, so um, yeah, as, as Matteo said, you're, you're, you're the teacher, so I, I trust in your approach. But that, that's my feedback for what it's worth. Thank you, Tom. Uh, we might as well include everyone. Treyas, what do you think? You know, I can see both sides. It's uh, I can understand what Louise was saying because um, uh, it can seem very dense and very um, rushed through in the way that you're doing it. Uh, and uh, I think it really helps as well, as Tom was saying, to have read the uh, suttas beforehand um, so that it's easier. Uh, but for myself, it's always so nourishing to hear the suttas. Um, and whatever you pick up from them, you can. Uh, if you don't pick up everything, you can go back to the actual text and read it. So um, I like the structure of the way that, you know, the, within this little sangha, that we're hearing these teachings directly um and john is presenting them so yeah I, you know i can understand both sides but uh thanks Shreyas. you know i should say that we we used to have a member of our sangha um and she was coming for quite a few years she moved out of the area and she was very good uh at telling me to slow down when i'm reading and I appreciate it. So, Louise, anytime you feel like you need me to slow down, it's okay to tell me to slow down. Um, I do try to get... I'm, I'm conscious of how long a class might be. and I, But I do... In a, a sutta like this, I do really feel like I want to finish it in a reasonable amount of time. Um, Ed, what do you think? Well, <clears throat> you know, we all grew up in a culture in which we're... We expect instant gratification, instant understanding all the time. We want what we want immediately. And I think that um, the nature of it is such that it requires that you read and reread and reread and reread these sudas before you start to get an inkling of what they're about. I know I, I, uh, I, know, I heard that there's this uh, group of Buddhists that uh, focus almost exclusively on the Satipatthana. They read it almost every day, twice a day, or something like that. Um, I don't know that one should focus exclusively on one sutta, but certainly uh, I've read the Satipatthana many, many times, and I know I'll read it many, many times again. I read it before this uh, session today, and... Uh, what you realize is that this is a path. It's not just, you know, you hear the magic words and something, some light goes off in your head and that's yeah. the end of it. You know, I mean, it may be that way, that way for some people, you know, they have a, a, an expression in the, in the East, Uttama Adhikari, you know, that's someone who just hears it and gets it and that's that, you know. But that's a very unusual situation. Very, very few human beings have that capacity. Yeah. So I think that uh, I, I understand Louise's problem, 
but I think it, it requires patience and it requires persistence, which is one of the factors uh, for uh, liberation, for nirvana. You know, you have to just keep doing it and be patient and let it unfold as it unfolds. Um, so okay. that's my, my understanding. Thank you, Ed. Um, you know, yeah, Louise, it's not my intention to, to overwhelm anyone, though. But I, but I do understand what you're saying. Um, I, think, I think the, the I, I, I totally get that. And I want to mirror what everyone else said. So thank you very much for showing up and doing this teaching. And I love it. And it's great. Um, and it's not so much that I'm thinking I'm not following. I'm not getting anything out of this. It's too, it's almost like I don't have the capacity for the words because of the speed that they're coming into my awareness. Mm-hmm. It's not about grasping after what I, what I'm getting out of today because I know that I can take this away and you know, like everyone else said, do the work outside. It's the sitting in front of a computer, hearing words and not yeah. having so much capacity for so many words in such a short space of time. And I think the other thing I want to highlight is the fact that it's 8.30 at night for us in the UK. Like, we've had a full day of information and input and stimulus. And at this time of night, not so early in the morning, it's very, very difficult to have this kind of level of stimulus and level of input and level of words and the, the, the content for me in particular, um, just intellectually, um, is difficult. Yeah, that, it's, it's a good point too, Louise. So um, that it is 8.30 and you're, you're tired, you, it's the end of a long day, all you can do is the best you can. And again... What, what I would suggest as best as you can for all of you is to just take a breath, unite your mind and your body, and listen. You know, I always hear me say, be very gentle with yourself. Listen with a very gentle ear. You're not, you don't have to understand every single word. But also, it's okay to tell me to slow down. So, Louise, if I'm reading too fast for you, I mean, I, I understand that itself could just be a distraction. It's not really the words. It's, it's the speed of my talking. So tell me to slow down, and I'll... I'll, uh, well, now that we... people telling me to slow down because I'm Scottish. <laughs> uh, really? You, you won't offend me if you tell me I'm reading too fast. Um, so now we need to, we need, since we took a time for this, I think a very necessary discussion, um, should we finish this next week? One thing, John, to Louise uh, as well, uh, regarding her, uh, the issue. So much of the Dhamma is um, really um, understood on reflection as well. So you, you you absorb it in these different ways, and then that reflection and contemplation is so helpful to understand it. So um, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, is it? Uh, That's Louise. Louise. No, no yeah, <laughs> I can't read it, that's fine. Well, anyways, um, what... Um, <laughs> Faust, is it Faust? That's it. Yes, it's Faust. Oh, okay. So that's why I was a little confused. I thought Faust, okay, sorry. Um, what Faust was saying was so uh, uh, important in, in that too. Um, just, you know, uh, going over things again, the repetition, which in the time of the Buddha was so important 
to help people to remember and to uh, understand. But the reflection and contemplation after it, I think, is a very key component for every every uh, teaching. So. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I, I built the website like I did. You, the, 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 the written text is always there. And there's recordings. I mean, there's over, over probably over 800 recordings on the website now for just just what Shreyas is talking about. You can hear it now. You get the foundation. We have our discussion. We get to ask questions about the sutta, but you can always read it and listen to it over and over again, and do that. And that's again, that's part of right effort too. You know, again, the the, the dhamma isn't something that you, the Buddha's dhamma isn't something that you go to once a week or once a month or every couple of years. You go on a retreat for eight or ten days, and, and that's going to be it. This is ongoing, moment by moment, at the point of contact practice. Uh, but it's, a, again, very, very gentle practice, or, or it doesn't work. It has to be this way. Um, so, again, that being said, should we, uh, should we finish this next week? Because I probably have about another uh, 15 or 20 minutes of reading, too. So I'll listen to you on this. to jump off just now and everyone else can stay on I don't want to be disruptive to the class but Louise you're not being disruptive at all no 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 so what I'm saying is I'm okay to jump off and hear it later on audio and the the rest of the class can hear it in the next they can hear the rest of it but um I think I might jump off why don't we why don't we call it call it today? We'll 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 do the second half of this next week. And I'll I'll recap it, I'll just introduce what we read and covered so far. I think that makes sense. You know, this is how a Sangha operates. So Louise, I really appreciate you bringing this up and uh you know the 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 difficulty you had with this. So um it, it was good I just want to say it was good to have the discussion because I sometimes come to class and then later feel like I wasn't as attentive as I could have been for the reasons Louise was saying, and it's no one's fault. It it is often late for us, over, later for us over here. Like I haven't had, yeah, um, but it's just the way it is sometimes. And I just try and go gently, you know, I just apply my practice. I try and go gently with myself. And what I remind myself is that actually more is going in than I realise. And then this these suits just come back round again. I think, and next time you read it, you'll remember bits from last yeah. time, and ultimately, um, like Shreyas was saying, you, you then apply this stuff to your life, and you realize more more has gone in than, than it hasn't. So I think it was good that you raised it, Louise, to be honest. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you did, because it's, it's yeah. good to discuss it. It's been nice to discuss it. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you, Louise. Anybody have any questions about what we read today? I think just, just to sort of um, add to the what we've been discussing. I mean, what I find really helpful is it's. I, I think it is physically, intellectually impossible to reflect and contemplate on everything that is mentioned in a sutta, especially a longer one each time. Like it's just not possible. So, but but I think the idea is because it's so comprehensive and it's quite repetitive, but it's so comprehensive. Each time you listen there's something different that comes to the fore, right? So for me, um, I've taken just a few notes on what I, what came to the fore for me today, and there were, it was the issue of uh, regret, which which was highlighted. And it was only maybe 5% of what, um, what was spoken about. But for me, that was what, so that's what I 
pulled from it. And there was a lot of stuff that I won't have, it might have sort of gone over my head a little bit today, but it was, but another time I'll come to a suitor and it'll be something else, right? It'll be the wishing, which was something else that yeah. I wrote down. So those are the things that, that because it connected to what, um, John, we were talking about last week, right? With my yeah. kind of flirting with visualization and stuff like that, right? So I realized how I was getting a bit distracted back then last weekend. And so today it was like that I realized it was part of my wishing mind, which was I was wishing to not have suffering. Yeah. Anyway, just to give you an example, that's what I got from the class today, even if, and that's only maybe five or 6% of what was actually shared. Um, and I think that's a way to approach it, especially with the longer suitors is to focus on what you can take from each class. And then each time it'll be different because it, it is yeah. so all, it encompasses all of life. And, and every single day, there's going to be something there that is relevant. So, um, anyway, sorry, I just wanted to share that. That really well said, Tom. That that I, I, you're you're a better teacher than I am on that on that point. That, that that's just how it is. You hear it over and over again, um, and you apply it in different ways. The uh, to me, the Buddha's Dhamma, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Paths, are incredibly simple. But their application touches every aspect of human life. And so you could say that as complicated as my life is in my head is as complicated as I'll find the Dhamma until I start establishing these levels of jhana, the four foundations of mindfulness, and it becomes easier and easier. <coughs> um, <coughs> excuse me. They put me on a new blood pressure medicine uh, not new, I've been taking it a while, but when I increase it, I always get this cough, and I, I'm surprised that it's an aspect of that, but it, so it is. Um, much of, um, even the, the sutta refers often to the corruption. <coughs> we just went through a series of suttas where the Buddha is teaching us the importance of keeping his Buddha, his Dhamma pure. And a lot of the reason why that hasn't happened, why we're, why, you know, the, even during the Buddhist time, but even today, there's an endless number of dharmas, is because of just that, of, of not wanting to um, apply it the way it was intended and, and taking suttas that are very pure and simple and adding a lot of stuff to them and making them something that they're not. And uh, or and then taking little phrases and creating whole dharmas out of it. The, the Dhammapada is a good example of that. There, there. The, the Dhammapada to me is like it's just a beautiful book, but it's been so corrupted by people wanting to take one or two lines out of that and creating an entire dharma over it, such as people focusing just on the Satipatthana Sutta. To me, I understand that and I respect it, but to me, that's saying, well, this guy spent forty-five years teaching something. And I only want to hear one teaching? That doesn't make sense to me. And so what I found is something very, very rich, but also very broad. And, and the suttas, as they're taught, touch every aspect of human life and in different ways, as Tom taught. So that, that's, that's the reason why I, I find... That's the reason why I teach only what I know that the Buddha taught and that I've restored to what I think as best as I can determine through practice and teaching, is what was presented as the Buddhist Dhamma. 
that it's long. Sometimes it takes a little bit, but uh, I, I think this is a really helpful class for all of us, including me, Louise. So thank you, and thank you all for your input. We'll uh, we'll do the second half of this next week and continue our structured study of jhana. Uh, again, any other questions or comments before we finish today's class? I have one more thing, if, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I'd like to say, <clears throat> you know, e- each of the suttas is like a treasure chest. And each line can be um, really powerful. And I can understand why, uh, you know, some people may spend a whole lifetime on one really very foundational sutta, such as the Satipatthana Sutta, that uh, contains so much in it. And so, again, I think that um, rereading, contemplating, and looking at it, as we've discussed, is very, very important in the long run, because really there is so much in the Buddha's teachings. And, you know, he's said to have given 84,000 teachings for uh, all different ways, upaya, the skillful means for people to learn. Each one of us is different. We have different capacities, and we, you know, learn in different ways. So different teachings may have more meaning. And then the other thing I just wanted to say is uh, what you, um, just to piggyback on what you said, John, you know, the Sangha is, uh, we teach each other, we're all each other's teachers. Uh, It's not just, you know, head teacher on the top there, like, you know, and everyone kowtows and everything else. The Sangha is uh, teaching each other, as we're seeing now. And that is a wonderful part. The triple jewel is the Buddha, the teacher, the Sangha, the community, and the Dharma, the, the teachings. It's those three things um, together that are most synergistic and really emphasized uh, by the Buddha himself as well. Yeah, and that's exampled even in this sutta, where this sutta was taught by Saraputta, the Buddha mentioned Moggallana. It wasn't just the Buddha. And there were other, other important and significant uh, arahants that taught I mean, and not, not again, not just men, there are many women uh, who taught in the original Sangha as well. Uh, and these are the suttas they taught. What I think is most remarkable is that 2,600 years later, the suttas are still here and they're still working, they're still applicable. The Four Noble Truths are still noble. Uh, and through the Dhamma, we can develop what an awakened human being taught was the most significant aspect of having a human life, and that's having a calm and peaceful mind. Again, related directly to this sutta, and also mentioned by Louise in uh, almost a secondary way, grasping after, or wishing for. And what Louise was talking about, she was grasping after meaning of the words that, that were simply being presented in too fast and comprehensive a way to be understood. But that doesn't mean that the teaching isn't relevant or the sutta isn't relevant. It's just the way we teach. You know, again, this is something that's been been taught for 2,600 years, and it's still relevant. The, again, the Buddha, they, they, they say the Buddha taught 84,000 suttas. 84,000 is a number that means a lot. <coughs> John, I don't, I don't agree with that because I, I know, I can feel when I'm grasping after something. I wasn't bringing this up because I'm grasping after something I wasn't getting. I'm bringing it up almost like from the perspective of someone dyslexic coming into the class and saying, ah, I, have, I have 
specific needs in terms of how I come yes. to class and how I want to learn. Not the content of the learning and what I get from the learning, but how I process. Yes, I, 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 me- I, I mentioned uh, that the, the woman before uh, that used to tell me to slow down, she happened to be severely dyslexic. In fact, when she came yeah, to... Yeah, and I'm, I'm not dyslexic, but I'm saying from from an example of someone dyslexic coming into the class, I want to really be clear, because I love all, what everyone is saying around, you know, this is a journey. I completely get that. I con- I'm, a, I'm a contemplator. It's what I do. I understand that I'm not just going to come here and tick a box that I've learned things. That's not what why I brought it up. I brought it up not because I wasn't being able to keep up in terms of I'm coming away from the class and having not learned anything. I brought it up because of the way in which I process. Mm -hmm. And I brought it up because I was able to, my camera's not normally switched on. And this is, I'll, I'll tell you, this is the reason why. My camera isn't normally switched on, but tonight it is. And I observed my body language, which was really uncomfortable. I could see myself twitching. I could see myself like scratching my head. I could see myself scratching my face. I was generally uncomfortable and that's why I brought it up. So it's about my processing ability, not about wishing or wanting the class or the content of the class to land with me in another way. Is that, I don't hopefully that's clear, but it's it's not about it's not about grasping. I don't think it is anyway. Okay. No, I, 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 you mentioned um, uh, dyslexia. What I was going to say is this woman who had severe dyslexia, before she came to class, she couldn't even read. And this was a, you know, she was a woman in her 50s. Um, she gained the ability to read because she was reading the suttas. But again, even during class, I remember when I, when I went over dependent origination for probably the third time, she almost broke down in, in class and, I, and she started shaking because it was just too much information for her. But I, but what I, well, I said to her, basically what I said to you was to take in what you can, do not worry about what you're, what you're not able to take in in this moment. And over time, she developed the, the Dhamma to a very profound level. Um, and so I understand what you're saying, Louise, and I really appreciate all the feedback. Um, and what I'm, what I'm again saying it over and over again. The Dhamma feels like that sometimes. It it can seem overwhelming. It was overwhelming to me when I first realized what the Buddha actually taught. And think about, it. I mean, I'm there's a there was an, an avalanche of suttas that I now was trying to make sense of. Um, it's, it's not it's not overwhelming. I have quite a large capacity. It's not overwhelming. It's the speed and the container in which it's delivered in that makes it overwhelming. It's not the actual dharma itself that's overwhelming, it's the container that it's presented in and the speed of it that makes it overwhelming for me. Um, There's things I don't know, I guess, and so I'm I'm willing to learn, and everyone here is my teacher. Um, And so, you know, I'll I'll sit with that. I'll, I'll take that into contemplation outside of this, outside of this group, like, am I grasping? I'm just not aware of it because I can feel myself being quite defensive in this moment. Well, that, I'm not grasping. <laughs> well, again, that, that might just be a harsh word for you. It just, it just means that that uh, grasping is the best word, though. 
Um, and, and, and the, and the way you were describing, and again, Louise, this isn't, you're not wrong. No, you know, there is, there is, that's not a, it's not a wrong or right thing. Um, wanting the moment to be different than it was in any way is, is an aspect of grasping. Mm -hmm. So, and again, it's not, again, it's not, not right or wrong. But it is rooted in in that moment, and I'll and I'll explain to you since we're going this far. I'll explain to you why it's taking away from dharma practice in general, because in that moment you're distracted towards what you wish it could be, grasping, mm-hmm. rather than what it is. But that's not saying that I'm the world's most perfect teacher. I I know that I teach fast, and in classes like this where I'm trying to get a lot done, and as it turned out, I didn't get it all done. I do tend to read faster. But I also understand, again, not just to qualify it, I've been teaching a long time and I've seen the results of teaching the Dhamma in this way. And I've, te- I've seen those that stay with it develop the, the Dhamma to very profound levels as the Buddha intended. Um, but it is this process. And at times it's, it's incredibly, I'm not saying it is for you, at times it's frustrating to people. Um, but again, those that stay with it are able to teach, treat themselves gently, treat the Dhamma gently, are able to develop it. And I, I again, I, I, I hope you will because you're, you're developing the Dhamma as intended. And uh, this is just the way it is. And I, 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 this is the first class I've ever had on this, that we've had a discussion on this. So I think it's important that we did. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Uh, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. Uh, give me a moment. <coughs> Excuse me. Is there anything else anybody like to talk about before we go? Uh, I might make one comment if I could. Uh, You're Ed. When, when you were talking... Excuse me? No, go ahead, Ed. No, no, sorry. Oh, when you were talking about uh, clinging to non-becoming... Uh, this image came up in my head. In a Greek drama, they used to have something called the Deus Ex Machina, when the drama was so complicated and difficult and painful, and the writer couldn't find no way out to resolve the situation. They would lower a god onto the stage through this mechanical contraption, and the god would make everything fine. He would sort out everybody's problems. (laughs) And... uh, we're always looking. I think we're very much accustomed to having this idea that there's some deus ex machina that's going to come down and do it for us. Yeah. I have because the thing that, that runs over me like a truck when I'm, I'm studying, investigating the Dhamma is that I have to do it. Yeah. You know? That that uh, is a significant difference. That, the, the, yeah, the, there, the there's, there's, no, there's no God in the machine going to come down and sort this out for me. Yeah, that's the significant it's, difference. It's frightening between, and lonely at times, but it's also quite wonderful because you realize you can do it. It's up to you. The significant difference between what the Buddha taught and everybody they're, else they're was teaching charge. during his time and our time is that he did not te- he didn't see himself as a savior and he didn't teach a salvific religion. And if you think about that, the major problems in the world are, are rooted in people that think they're here to save the world or to save others. It's not, and any time that I think I need salvation, I'm stuck in eye-making. I'm stuck in self-loathing. 
Because who am I to need salvation unless I think that there's something wrong or broken or lacking in me? The Buddha, again, that, that's what everybody, all the spiritual teachers during the Buddha's time taught. We went over the, uh, the Adita Pariyasana Sutta where the Buddha describes two of the significant teachers, Alara Kalama and Udeka Ramaputta, mastered their teachers. They, they taught similar things. They taught to speculate yourself out of this life into a future life. And he said, nonsense, that's not what it is. A human being should have a human life, not an unhuman, non-human, corrupted life. And that's what he taught. And it's all rooted, it, gets, it seems almost too simplistic, but all of that wishing and grasping, etc., is wanting what's occurring to me in this moment to be different than it is. And that's the ultimate ignorance. Because how could what's occurring in this moment be different than it is? It's occurring. What can be different then? What's the only thing that can be different to life as life occurs is my perception, what I'm holding in mind, what I'm framing this moment by. That's right view. And that's, again, that's what we're talking about here. Matteo, you had something you wanted to say? Yeah, um, I want just to say like, so sorry, I'm, I'm not British, I'm very Italian, so usually I'm very direct, uh, probably will say something unpleasant, uh, everybody disagree. So I think... Uh, yeah, I disagree with what most we are saying in the last 30 minutes. I think we waste a lot of time about like a discussion that we shouldn't. And uh, I don't know, I don't think what is the problem about all this stuff. Because, uh, for example, I remember once I have like an, an issue about one suitor to remember. So instead of interrupt during the lesson, I just send a private email to John. Uh, in, instead, what's happened, like, we just waste like a lot of time uh, just please don't don't take it personal don't feel offended just because say okay for me it's too much but then we keep going and on and on and on I don't you think that maybe the other people they are not agree we just keep in doing that and that I think uh, uh, remember when you go to school no and, and to me at least it never happened that I stopped my professor university say hey I don't care I don't understand what's happened can you stop it and we do it so it sounds a bit strange and uh, that's one of the things why I like to come to John class because I went to many, many other classes and some where people, they want to like even a coffee break or they just like do chant, you know, do something that is not important. And usually I keep my life a lot of private, but even myself, I'm very, very exhausted today. I'm very exhausted for uh, other reasons, but that's his life. I just sit in here, I try my best, I get whatever I can get. My humble suggestion is like, as Tom said, probably if you keep like the sutra close to you, it's, you can be more focused because you follow. I know this is an enormous sutra, this one, but then like we end up that we, we, we waste a lot of time and uh, I don't think probably the structure will change. Because as I say, like, I, I am not, the ch- I disagree with Shriya. I don't think we are all teachers. Otherwise, I don't need to stay sitting here. So it's like... A, I need like a guide, somebody that tell me what's going on. Maybe some days I can, in my humble way, I can teach something. But otherwise, like why I bother to come here? So for me, it's like it's important to 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 listen what John's saying, even when it's really really uh, difficult. Then to have comment on the sutras. Otherwise, it's like a, we are wasting time. So honestly, I'm really sorry. I don't want to be unpleasant, but like, uh, as I say, like it's better to be direct than just say something that is not true. Yes. And uh, uh, the one is like, I think we waste a lot of time. We waste a lot of time. We should like, uh, even Shriya before, they just stopped John when he talked, like, 
this one is the structure of the class, like it or not. So John said the class, at the end we have a discussion, but interrupt join all the time is already stopping the flowing of reflection on the sutra. And I think we have already some other people that do another sutra, other stuff that they never come back, I don't know why. But you see, like, this is the, this is the class. This is the structure, and, and that's it. Then, then, of course, we can have all the comment and discussion, but after that, to keep interrupting that, it doesn't help. First, I think, is very disrespectful towards the other Sangha members. The second one, I, I lost completely the track and the flow of the sutra. I don't even know what we are talking about today. Because keeping yeah. interrupted, that it's not an individual class. And I shut up my mouth now. That's it. Thank you, Matei. You don't need to shut. Nobody needs to shut up their mouth, and you can. This is this is an, an open forum here, and uh, I appreciate everything you're saying. Um, I would disagree in a direct way, as you said, uh, just slightly. I, I think that, uh, as you know, Matteo, that our classes are very well structured, and we usually don't get into a discussion like this that we did today. It's very rare, um, but I also think that this was necessary. Uh, for one thing, Lu- Lu- Louise has shown just by her presence that she's intent on learning the Dhamma. And I think we were all helpful to Louise, but I think we we're all helpful to each other. And I agree with you, Matteo, that we've taken up a lot of time that were, might be, that could have been spent just on the sutta, the today's sutta. But sometimes I think it's necessary. I don't really think that it was a waste of time. Um, but it certainly did take away from the sutta. But I, again, I don't think it was a waste of time. I think it was necessary. Um, again, just to talk about it briefly, each sangha has its own um, core foundation. And we're developing this on our Thursday sangha too. So it's important that we all understand that we can say anything you want. And there will be times when I'll say, right now it's not appropriate. Let me continue. But I think today was everything we talked about was appropriate. Next week's class, I will summarize what we touched on and then finish the sutta. Uh, and I, I think I think we're gonna it'll work out fine. Uh, I appreciate everything that everybody said. Uh, again, I'll ask the question: Is there anything else? There is a, uh, a sort of corollary that um, uh, from what uh, Matteo said. You know, the Buddha taught that. We can, we don't have to believe him, the teacher. It's through our direct experience that we can understand the Dharma fully. So in many ways, this discussion to me is a, a sort of reflecting on that, that uh, it's, it, it's, it's something that we can discover for ourselves. And that was a key foundation that also separated the Buddha from other people who set themselves up as like, you know, the great leader and the, you know, believe everything, every single word and, you know, don't interrupt and all this kind of stuff. This is about actually that we can experience the Dharma uh, moment to moment directly and learn from that direct experience. We've talked about that so often that the Buddha taught something and even in this sutta, he talks about direct knowing, it's a direct understanding. And we're, we're all experiencing that. And again, the reason why I structured our classes this way right from the beginning, including this discussion part that usually comes after class, well, I guess it is after class, is just that, so that we can share our own development, our own understanding of developing the Dhamma. 
And I've never been part of a part of a uh, sangha that was structured this well and this well focused. So that's why I, I often refer to the importance, as the Buddha did, of a well focused, well informed sangha. And we do it just this way with all of these components that we're talking about: teaching the Dhamma, talking about the Dhamma, reflecting on our own difficulties in learning the Dhamma. And in that way, we're all learning the Dhamma. Some of some of us. Uh, I don't want to go on any longer about this. We'll uh, we'll conclude this sutta next week. Um, all right, we'll finish with. with somebody have something? No, we're good. Let's. Uh, I won my dinner, <laughs> but thank you, John. You what? I'm just joking. I've got to go. I've got to go make my dinner. Oh, me, <laughs> me too. Well, you have our song at dinner tonight. <laughs> but here. Thank you. All right. Thank well. You uh, uh, look forward to continuing next week. Yeah, me too. Uh, so we'll finish like we always do with the Buddha's words on Metta uh, from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, Having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace, everyone. Thanks. See you all at the next Good one. Good job. Thanks, guys. Bye. See you all. Bye. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.